0: Hello and welcome to the Week 8 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Zimini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Well, there's going to be a lot of venting on this show with the Jets coming off a 33-0 to embarrassment to the Patriots on Monday night. I'll have a lot to say about that coming up, and you don't want to miss that. And then in the second quarter... Uh, we'll talk to Jet safety Marcus May, actually one of the few players on the team who's actually having a good year. The Jets traveled to Jacksonville this week, and that's a homecoming game for Marcus, so we'll be talking about that. In the third quarter, we will have an expanded Twitter mailbag because I know, I just know there's a lot of questions and anger out there, and rightfully so, and I'll try to get in as many questions as possible. And then we'll also have the fourth quarter. But for now, I want to talk about this Monday night debacle. Just an utter disgrace. Look, I know who the Jets were playing. You know, the Patriots are a machine with Brady, Belichick, yada, yada, yada. But the Jets, they were just non-competitive. I mean, they they didn't even put up a fight. The, The Patriots... Took it to them right from the uh, right from the get-go. And really, they took their foot off the gas. Otherwise, it easily could have been 60 to nothing. They just kind of took it to cruise control in the second half. Look, I know Sam Darnold was bad. He had five turnovers. And he had the unfortunate seeing ghosts line on TV, which, you know, the mic'd up situation. And that was a really bad job by NFL Films. I thought they screwed the Jets there. They usually don't use that type of language. Or commentary on the air, they usually uh, edit that out, but they let it go through. And bad job by NFL Films. I feel bad for Sam because it was it was embarrassing. But uh, be that as it may, you know, Darnell's going to get a lot of the blame here. But in my opinion, we have to take a closer look at Adam Gase. This was eye opening. Now you know from listening to this podcast that I've defended him. Through, uh, this entire season, because look, he was stuck with a brutal quarterback situation for the first three games, or actually for three games. Uh, but now, this, this just raises red flags to me. I just want to enumerate a couple of things that jumped out at me in this game. The team was not prepared again. They've been outscored 50 to 13 in the first quarter this year. We all know that they've gone 30 games without an opening drive touchdown i know only 6 of that is on adam gates so i'm not throwing it in all on his lap but look 30 to 50 to 13 in the first quarter and actually in the two meetings against the patriots they were outscored 44 to nothing nothing in the first half of those games uh you know number 2 they were caught off guard by the new england blitz which uh you know look they they blitzed more than usual Going into the game, they had been blitzing only twenty percent of the time against the Jets on Monday. It was forty-six percent, uh, but I mean that that wasn't like a revolutionary type of blitz. It was just a Cover Zero blitz. It's been around in the NFL for decades. The Jets should have been prepared for it, but they didn't really have any blitz beaters. They had no quick slants, no hot re- receivers. Where were the screen passes? You know, they just never adjusted. To what was happening. And that was the knock on Adam Gase in Miami. That he didn't make good adjustments. Uh You know how about using more max protect schemes in the game. You know the Jets used two tight ends. I think only five times I counted in this game. So they kept their three receiver package on the field. Which of course kept New England's nickel package on the field. And their nickel package is freaking great. I mean they have like 18 interceptions this year. So the Jets really played to New England strength and I thought that was curious and number four the Jets offensive line is just a mess I mean we're not talking about guys just getting beat physically they just look confused in the middle of the game I received a text from a friend of mine he's an NFL scout he's been in the league for 40 years he knows a lot of football and this is what his te- I'm not going to reveal his identity but his text said quote a damn disgrace they can't slide the line to the overload blitz side, get the get the OC and the OL coach fired. Wow, this is some pretty harsh stuff here, but this is the way the Jets have been playing. Now, I might not be an expert, an Xs and Os expert like a Dan Orlovsky uh, who does a great job for ESPN, but I've covered the NFL for 30 years and I know when it stinks. And this stinks. I, there just seems to be a disconnect On the offensive side of the ball. It's hard to figure out, but it seems obvious to me. Either Gase isn't teaching it right or what he's teaching isn't getting through. And that's not good. Is talent an issue? Well, sure. Talent, you know, the talent isn't great, but it's not one in five bad. The talent isn't as bad as only eight offensive points in three division games. It's not that bad. And besides, Gase knows this division. He spent three years in Miami, so he's supposed to be somewhat of an equalizer here. But that really hasn't been the case at all. Right now, the Jets just look like a a poorly coached team. And I'm not going to bury Gase six games into the job. I mean, come on, people. Let's relax a little bit. But I will say this. This New England game, I think, is going to be a turning point for him. He can either rally the team and use it as kind of a springboard for the rest of the season. The so-called soft part of their schedule. Notice I said so-called. Or it's just going to break them apart, you know, and they'll go south. And, you know, and that would be a bad look for Gase's job security. The last thing they, you know, need, you know, the last thing Christopher Johnson, the CEO, wants is a one-and-done coach. But, man – they're just not heading in a different, a good direction. So that's why I think they've reached a pressure point for Adam Gase. And speaking of the South, going South, the Jets will be doing exactly that for the next two weeks. They're going to Florida to play Jacksonville and Miami back to back weeks. And you think this is going to be easy in Jacksonville? Think again. You know, yeah, they traded Jalen Ramsey, but that defense still has some playmakers there. They had four takeaways last week against Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't think it's going to be a pushover for the Jets. I mean, any team that lines up 11 guys on defense right now, that's going to pose a problem for the Jets. That's where they're at right now. And nothing, nothing is a guarantee for the Jets as they prepare for these final 10 games. That is the end of the first quarter. And welcome to the second quarter of the Green Room. Welcoming in our special guest this week, Marcus May. Free safety, having a good year for the Jets. Just wanted to acknowledge that. And uh, I had a conversation earlier with Marcus, and here it is. Marcus, you've been playing really good ball lately. You know, now that you've been back healthy and so forth, I'm wondering if this is the most comfortable you've felt in your career since you've been here. Uh, Yeah, I
1: mean, I feel like I'm in a... Uh, pretty good groove right now for the most part Uh, you know just staying staying active staying out there on the field with the guys has been my main thing so just all the little extra stuff off the field um, to allow me to be on the field um, and just going out and
0: playing to the best of my ability I know that shoulder injury had to be frustrating because you missed so much time in the off season for you was there ever a point during that injury where you were concerned about whether you'd be able to get back?
1: Uh. Nah, I mean, I always had positive energy, positive mindset, uh, and you know, this faith that I would always get back in time. Um, you know, we did a good job this off season and monitoring everything and, and going along with the schedule. And feel like everything came along right in time, just and just in time for the season and stuff like that. Um, you know, I feel fine. Everything's good.
0: I think the one thing you're really showing this year, I mean, you're doing a really good job as a post safety, but you've also come downhill a few times, lowered the shoulder, made some big tackles. Is that something you pride yourself on and showing that you, you know, you could be more than just a post safety?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like I, I can line up anywhere on the field and be, uh, and be impactful. Uh, I feel like I can make plays anywhere. Um, you can put me in the box, uh, deep middle, um, over in the slot. Like it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, just going out, making plays, and running around and playing football.
0: I think there are a lot of general managers around the league who would love to have a safety tandem like you and Jamal. Uh, how good can you guys be if you stay together for a while?
1: Uh, I mean, we can be good as we want to be. I mean, I'm not. Uh, there's really no ceiling. Um, you know, every time we step out on the field, we look to get better. Um, we compete against each other. Um, you know, every time we, we see stuff, we help each other out. Um, you know, we got each other's back no matter what it is on the field, on the field. So just the relationship that we have and the, the, the energy that we both have, the love for the game that we both have, it just makes everything that much
0: easier. You have the more low key personality than Jamal. So I'm wonder I'm wondering if at any time do you get, do you get, uh, do you feel slighted sometimes because he's always in the spotlight? Spotlight, you know, he seems to relish, you know, being in the spotlight.
1: Well, no, nah, not at all. I mean, that's just it comes with it. Um, you know, obviously, he was the first round draft pick. I was a second round draft pick. Um, but you know, it, 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 it that doesn't that doesn't. We don't look at it like that. Um, it's not like one's overshadowing on somebody. Uh, you know, obviously, I missed a couple games being injured. Um, he stepped up and he had to fill my role and his role as well. So just, you know, the ability that he has just, you know, is second to none. And, you know, when we're both out there together, I mean, you know, the sky's the limit. I know you're happy to have Brian Poole back. Now, you guys were
0: actually roommates at Florida, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah, we were roommates. Uh, yeah. Known each other since high school. We actually played against each other uh, 10U for travel basketball down in Florida. Um, so we've known each other for a while. Um, and then to the fact that we're on the same team now in New York City, it's, uh, it's you know, almost unbelievable to, to see how far we came together. So you guys were
0: actually 10-year-olds playing against, yeah. competing yeah. against each other. You were probably both, like, the best guy on your respective yeah. teams.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And it's funny, it was like, once we got started with the recruiting process, we started talking about childhood. And it was like, I remember playing against this team, this team, this team. it was like, yeah, I was on that team. And I was like, no way. And I was just like, dang, that's crazy, man. Once we started talking about it, I was like, oh, I remember now. Like, so it's, it's, it's definitely been now memory laying together. What, what was he like as a roommate? Who was who the neat one and who was the sloppy one in that pairing? Uh, his room was upstairs, so yeah. I never went upstairs. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, we were both cool, we were both chill, same type of personalities. Uh, you know, we, you know, we had uh, plenty of trips together, car rides together. Live together for a number of years, mom's best friends. Uh, so we've been through it all together. Um, just the fact that we're all now on the same team in the NFL, you know, it's like I said, it's, it's almost like a dream come true, kind of.
0: One thing about I don't think fans in New York understand like how big football, like high school football, is in Florida. Yeah, like you, you're from Melbourne area. I
1: mean just just give a give us a snapshot of what it's like down there. I mean it's it's literally all or nothing when it comes to football down in the south in Florida. Um, Even at Little League games, there's crowds of, you know, 500 plus people at Little League football games. High school, there's thousands of folks. Um, So it's, it's, it's everything what it is in Florida for football. Yeah.
0: So and you stayed in Florida playing it with the Gators. That's and so right. did you grow up a Jaguars fan? Was that your deal?
1: Uh, yeah. Not necessarily. I mean, we watched Jacksonville because it was always a local channel. We yeah. Watched Tampa, it was a local yeah. channel. But for the most part, um, it was mainly college football growing up. Yeah. Um, you're either a Gator, you're either a Hurricane, or you're a, 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 the school in Tallahassee. Um, yeah. Uh, and then you just fall in line wherever you fit and obviously you know with me being a Gator that's where I fell in and everybody else fell along with us uh, so football is definitely probably the biggest thing down in Florida
0: I love how you refer to it the school in Tallahassee you cannot use that name
1: uh uh-uh. uh I don't, we don't know about those guys up there
0: and just uh, when you when you get a chance to play football professionally in the state of Florida what's it like
1: you get a big home crowd uh, uh, yeah th- it's, it's, it's almost like a homecoming yeah um, you know, you get all your family, you get all your friends from local. local, uh, anybody that comes in town. They love going back home to Florida to play football. Uh, just the grass, the weather, uh, you can't beat it. It's, it's perfect football weather.
0: Well, I wish you the best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you, Marcus May.
1: Thank you.
0: And this is the third quarter. An expanded Twitter mailbag. I promised. And I will deliver. Let's get right to it with a question from at Deacon Frost 15 Where do the Jets go from here? Why should the Jet fans believe Sam Darnold is the right quarterback? Deacon, relax. It was one bad game. He was great two weeks ago against Dallas. This week, not so great. Uh, look, it's going to be a roller coaster with a young quarterback. Ride it out. He'll be fine. At Danny DannyBags1. With the rest of the NFL watching, do you think they will uh, now change their defensive game plan to scare Sam? That, of course, is a reference to the seeing ghost quote, which I don't think and had anything to do with him being scared. It was just him not identifying defenders in the uh, blitz packages. But, you know, you're right. And Adam Gase even said it after the game. Teams are going to go to school on this film and do the same thing until the Jets stop it. So they can expect to see a lot of blitzes. And until they make teams pay with long pass plays, they're going to keep on seeing the blitzes. Next question comes from at NCDONR. In your decades as a Jets sports writer, have you ever seen a team this inept? NC, did you forget about last year already? 4-12, and 12, pretty bad. Back in the mid-90s, Rich Kotite, really bad. So, yes, I've seen ineptitude on this level before. Uh Next one from at Mathias Nunez. Is Adam Gase gone already? Whoever hired this man needs to get fired immediately. Dude, that's already happened. Mike McKagan was fired in May. He was the guy who hired Gase. It's just a round and round cycle that the Jets go through. Uh Next question from at George underscore naughty. Why is the offensive line coach incompetent? George, great question. Frank Pollack is not getting the job done. He's probably going to lose his job after the season. Adam Gase insisted he's not making any changes in season. If he did, Pollock would be a prime candidate. At Floyd Perkinson asks, "Uh, They seem to be having some success running the ball. Le'Veon Bell averaged 4.7 yards per carry on Monday night. Why didn't they stick with that more in light of the difficulties that Darnell faced in the pocket? You know, Floyd, I know where you're coming from, and 4.7 was definitely Bell's season high. But if you looked at his first down runs, you know, he was not getting it done on first down. I think it was about three yards a carry, so they were putting him in second and long situations. So uh, running the ball is not always the answer. They just have more issues than that. Next question, at Chubbs underscore City, two-part question. When do you think Douglas and Johnson will address the media, and do you think they'll uh, make any staff changes? Well, uh, by league rule, the general manager is supposed to address the uh, media at some point in the season, usually around midseason. I believe Joe Douglas will talk to the media right after the trading deadline following next Tuesday. I think he doesn't want to be uh, besieged with trade-related questions before the deadline, so he will speak after the deadline. As for CEO Christopher Johnson, he curiously has not spoken to the media. He usually does early in the year. That did not happen, and I do not know when he would speak. Uh, There is no rule mandating that an owner must speak during the year, so I'm really curious about that. I think he should say something here to appease the fan base. And as for the second part of your question, staff changes, Gay says no. I'll take him at his word right now that there won't be any staff changes. There certainly will be after the season, no doubt. At Dino Monkey, the Jets need to divert attention from this debacle. So can you expect a big trade this week? Well, Dino, that would be the wrong reason to make a trade, you know, just to, you know, for public relations purposes. But I do think they will be active participants in the calling and receiving of calls. I think it's time for the Jets to think ahead to next year. And if they can trade a player for a future asset, I think they will do so. I think Leonard Williams is the guy to watch. Would not shock me at all if he's traded by next Tuesday, given the Jets' current plate. And the last question comes from at J Brown, J 16. Uh, is there any chance the Jets could trade Tremaine Johnson on the deadline, uh, at least for a seventh round pick, despite his contract? Uh, sorry, I don't see that happening. He is still due 4.7 million this year. That is guaranteed. He's due another 11 million next year, and that becomes guaranteed on the third day of the league year, which is in March. So if the Jets were to trade Tremaine, which I think they would happily do, I think they would have to pay part of his contract, uh, to, to get him off their hands. And, um, I think they'd love to move that contract, but no one is going to take on a contract with close to 16 million over one and a half seasons. That, Folks, is the end of the third quarter. You know, as Monday night's game was going on, toward the end or even afterwards, some of the writers were asking me, uh, in light of Darnold's performance, like, what was the worst quarterback game I've ever seen? So I was thinking about that for the last day or so. And here's what I came up with, a couple of weird ones with some funny backgrounds. In 1989, my first year on the Jets beat, uh they were going nowhere late in the year Joe Walton was having his press conference and then toward the end of the press conference unsolicited he just casually threw in there oh by the way we have one lineup change Kyle Mackey's going to start at quarterback now Kyle Mackey had never played before the NFL and he was the third stringer so Walton was just reaching for a spark he was desperate and he had to play against a very strong New Orleans defense and predictably Kyle Mackey did a lousy job and was pulled at half the Uh, the most memorable thing about that was the midweek conference call with Jim Mora, the Saints coach. The Jim Mora, of course, who's famous for playoffs, playoffs. Well, when we told Jim Mora that Kyle Mackey was starting, he was so shocked that he said, Are you kidding me, Kyle Mackey? So that's what I remember about that. In 1992, Browning Nagel started two games in a row where he actually had a 12 quarterback rating and shockingly, Bruce Coslett just kept on carting him out there. Uh, Wouldn't bench Browning Nagel that year. Browning had a, a really bad year. Eight touchdown passes, 20 interceptions. He was probably a lot better at singing after hours karaoke in the local bars than he was playing quarterback in the NFL. Of course, there was the Ryan Fitzpatrick. Six pick game in Kansas City in 2016. That was incredibly, the Jets were still in that game and, and, and Fitzy just kept on slinging those interceptions and the game became famous afterwards. I remember walking in the locker room and feeling a weird, really weird vibe and then finding out afterwards that Brandon Marshall and Sheldon Richardson nearly came to blows in the locker room and have, had to be separated. Uh, Darrell Rebus later saying that incident, you know, was a dark cloud that hung over the Jets for the entire season. And lastly, uh the game maybe one of the worst quarterback games in jet history was actually their best quarterback joe namath in 1976 they were playing the cincinnati bengals it was december at a cold and windy shea stadium it was the final game of the year it was actually the final game of namath's career with the jets and he was awful just awful on a bad team he was 4 15 he threw four interceptions he was benched in that game and, uh, he ended up with a 0.0 passer rating. The old blue Tarski, as we call it. And uh, there was actually a young boy at Shea Stadium sitting in the stands that day. It was his first NFL football game. And uh he would see the dark side of the game. You know, players getting booed, a legend getting booed, a blowout game. I think it was 42 to 3. And so who knew it at the time that that would be a harbinger of that young boy's career? He would go on to cover the Jets for 30-something years for various media outlets and so you could call it a poetic indoctrination into the jet's beat and that's the end of this week's show i want to thank our special guest marcus may really appreciate marcus coming on and thanks to my producer jeff scopin for putting it all together uh just a reminder please subscribe to the podcast you can find flight deck with rich cimini on any of the places where you find your podcasts. That's the end of this week's show. Next week, we'll be back as the Jets in week nine will be going to Miami, a game that I think we would call a must win. Yes, yes, a must win. Until then, just remember, when in doubt, don't punt. Go for it.